I, I guess because it's our spring that these uh, new segments just keep blossoming in my mind. This particular segment is called Why? And after I read this bullshit, I was like, why? You know, I've been kicking this shit about college basketball players for a long time, like four years. I said, yo, how could they justify not paying these uh, basketball players? They're working, they're bringing in the revenue, and they can't get a dime. And they have rules that forbid them from making a little paper on the side. They can't use their images. They can't use their likenesses. If they try to be in a commercial, if they try to sign autographs, that is forbidden. Why? So that tells you, when they wrote these rules, they knew beforehand that these kids had the potential to make paper on the side, and they forbid that. Why? Why do you have to go to such an extent to keep these kids from getting some money on the side for themselves when they bring in your revenue? This is where I said, yo, this is a crime. And now I see that these motherfuckers, the NCAA is forming a discussion group. Just a bunch of motherfuckers sitting around talking because this is in the nation's consciousness. People feel that these kids should be paid and they're talking about it. So now as a response to that, the NCAA said, listen, we're, we're talking about it as well. But we don't want it to be construed as the NCAA paying its athletes. That was made abundantly clear in the article. They're only publicly talking about it because they can't justify not paying these athletes. But the question goes back to the segment. Why? So why you try to play me Golden State Warriors are busting the Portland Trailblazers' ass, no doubt. And when I'm watching these games, I'm looking at Mark Jackson, the commentator for ABC. He played in the NBA, former NBA player. He went to St. John's University. He's from New York. He's a Queens cat. He was nice in the league. And he used to coach the Golden State Warriors. He was the harbinger that set all this success off. He was a great, he was a good coach. And I said, man, these jobs come up in the NBA coaching jobs. They don't even consider this motherfucker. His name is not even mentioned. And then my man told me like, yo, you know why? He was on some Creflo dollar shit, preaching and ranting and raving, soapbox preaching outside. There's repercussions for that, G. And I said, oh yeah, that gotta be it. And then I Googled that and I saw it on YouTube. I said, no wonder he doesn't get considered. They banished this motherfucker from the league. They excommunicated him. You can only commentate on the games. Keep your personal religion to your fucking self. So this is why you see Luke Walton, Earl Watson, all these guys getting coaching jobs. And Mark has proven that he can coach. So I wonder how he feels commenting on his team. A lot of them guys are still there. Draymond, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and I wonder what they say to him in pregame warmups when they see Mark. I'm sure they're like, yo, I told you, man, you shouldn't have been kicking that Creflo dollar shit outside, man. You started this shit. You gave us all confidence, man. Why did you have to do that shit? Why don't you just keep that personal religion shit to you? You could have been getting these racks with us. You could have been getting these chips. Now you can't even get an assistant head coach job. 
So what that tells me is God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, I was talking to my man uh, Clips from a great podcast, a follow-through podcast. Homeboy hit me up and said, yo, G, I'm in New York City. Yo, let's watch a game. Came down to Tribeca, Manhattan, and we watched the game. And this motherfucker didn't know I had the mics in my bag. Conversational style podcast, and we were chopping it up about NBA hoops. Here we go. G Moody and Clips. Yeah, this is the third with G Moody chilling right now. I'm here with Clips. We talking hoops, we drinking brews, we drinking all kind of shit, we just chilling out. So we decided to turn this mic on and talk about hoops. Clips, you was on some uh, Houston shit. I saw via your Instagram, you was amped on this guy and I was trying to tell you, yo, hold your head, man. All that scoring, you play ball, you understand the game is not played like that with any success. How do you feel about this motherfucker being banished from the playoffs? You know what, you're right. You did call me out. You called me out a lot on it. I was sold. Look, bro, the guy averaged more points than we've seen in the last 30, 40 years in basketball. The guy can score the rock, okay? But championship teams aren't with one player. The ball stops with James Harden. And, and, and let's, let's get to the real point. Chris Paul. Where the fuck you at? Okay? You got it. You want to thank you Jerry West, bro, for dumping the contract. We saw you does, do Houston fans want 40 million dollars for a 36-year-old Chris Paul? Is that what it's going to be? And guess what, Chris Paul, you didn't show up as usual in the playoffs as usual. I got to ask you this question. Does James Harden make his teammates better? Which is the gauge of a great player? I think he tries to. I think, I think, no, nah, but I think within this, we've seen, let, let's, let's talk about this. Is, is James Harden like Carmelo as far as a black hole? Because they both can score, but do they, has Carmelo ever made a team better that he ever played with? I feel Carmelo and James Harden are the same player. Dominating the basketball, not sharing it with the other players who are professional athletes. The coach is responsible because on any level, if you're not sharing the basketball, the horn sounds. You get taken out of the game because you're making the game harder. Now, you, this cat scores a lot, but are we going to uh, win based on just you? Chris Paul has been taken out of his position, so I can't really blame him. He is a fall guy, D'Antoni. How do you justify this motherfucker keeping his job? You got to change that offense. You got a better team than what you showed. You got taken out in six games, but if you would have spread that ball around and had this guy playing the point, Chris Paul, there's no reason you wouldn't have taken it to seven to giving yourself a chance. James Harden ain't that nice. Oh, James Harden is very nice, Moody. The issue is that legacies are made in the playoffs. What you do in the playoffs tells me whether you nice or not.
Busting out of Bucktown, starting mad trucks. Raid the hard rock, we break your block down the front. Perform a construction like a storm when we rush. Razor cane, hip shots, graze your brain. It's ripping down like thunder pound. Make a brother wonder now what other ill shit lies underground. We're going to talk about Robert F. Smith, billionaire, investor, philanthropist, has pledged. And you can't renege on shit like this. Once you pledge this, you can't renege. So this investor said, yo, you know what? The 2019 class of Morehouse, the people who graduate this year, yo, I'm going to pay all that student loan debt that you accrued during your time at Morehouse. Man, that is fantastic. All those student loans that you undertook, that you know your ass wasn't going to pay back. He said, out of the blue, and I like how he uh, proposes at the commencement speech. So it begin, so it can give you a sense of ah, that is fantastic. Because if he would have said that shit in 2014 or 2015, man, he would have had about a 200 million dollar debt because motherfuckers would have been taking all kind of shit. So I want to give him a shout out for eliminating the the debt which holds students back. The loan um, that he's about to pay, all the students' loans, are estimated to be $40 million. This is a good brother. I mean to let cats know that this is a brother. This is a good guy, because he, he's doing this to try to help motherfuckers. This is, can only be to help. So imagine the racks he got that he could say, yo, I'ma pay the loans for cats that I don't even know not part of my family I'm just gonna do it so these are good folks and we need more people like that to uh, eliminate student loan debt because that's what really hurts cats after you graduate it's always hanging over your head you always try to defer it and the balance is just compounding the interest you owe more than what you took out but we want to shout out Robert F. Smith, the philanthropist and a good guy. This is the third with G. Moody, live on Sheridan Expressway, watching the Bronx be scrubbed away. Fuck shots, I'm the CEO, plus seeing them old. Bomb, bomb, bullets hit your soul when they hit your fro. Automatic weapons when that trigger blow. And niggas know, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn where the baddest is a live. Every address is some madness from the addicts to the kids. Uh -huh. Where we block, all I see is cops, all I see is... Yeah, one thing about This, That, and the Third with G. Moody, it's not a meandering podcast. It doesn't bore you. We get in, we get out, and we bring in some flame music. Who wouldn't love that shit? You make your point, you articulate it, and boom, there we go, some flame shit, and then you go to the next segment. That's what I call New York style. That's what I call conversational style podcasting. And I'm going to illustrate the shit right now. NBA talk, we get right in, get right out. Uh, we see that the Golden State Warriors are busting the Portland Trail Blazers' ass. A sweep is imminent. And whenever a sweep is imminent, then the injury shit come out. So now they're talking about, oh, Damon Lillard uh, has... He's playing with a separated rib, man. Save that bullshit, man. You can't fuck with these guys. That's it. Just say, yo, too much firepower. They play the game the right way. They pass, cut, easy fucking layup. And then they got the greatest jump shooters we have ever seen. And they don't need KD. They don't need Kevin Durant. They are proving that. Kevin Durant needed them. Now, 
Kevin Durant is a sympathetic figure because he was playing with a maniac. He was playing with Russell Westbrook, who seemingly doesn't give a fuck about his teammates. So that put KD in a fucked up situation. Like, yo, we ain't gonna win no chip with this motherfucker, so where do I go? He made the choice to go to the Golden State Warriors. And they have blended him in seamlessly. And that speaks volumes for the Golden State Warriors because they know how to play the game and they are truly a team so they can add a player of that caliber and keep it moving. Now, for me, KD got an asterisk next to his name because they didn't need you. They want to chip without you. You went to their team, and of course, homeboy's crazy nice. You're just going to add on, and they're going to win more chips. Now, for me, KD got to go to the Washington Wizards, his hometown team, and win a chip with them, and then all is good. Until then, asterisk remains. I've always said LeBron James is the best player that I've seen as far as all around that can do it all, that can guard all the positions. So me watching basketball since 1977, 78, a lot of guys hate on LeBron, but how could you hate on LeBron when he brought that team last year to the fucking finals? He was beating teams by himself. So I think LeBron is top three. Kareem, Jordan, and LeBron. A lot of motherfuckers talk about Bill Russell. I say Bill Russell ain't all that. You know why? Yo, he wasn't playing against a lot of motherfuckers, man. He wasn't playing against a lot of prime competition. There was a lot of racism in there, so we have to factor that in. Bill Russell set the tone for these players making hundreds of millions of dollars. Bill Russell had to stay at different hotels. You know what I mean? Like, he went through a lot of shit. I'm saying on the court. I'm saying competition. He was good, but people try to put him like, yo, he could dominate with Shaq. This motherfucker's 6'8". He wouldn't even get in a fucking game. LeBron James is playing the point at his height. There are certain people that can play in different eras. LeBron can play in any fucking era. Michael Jordan, any era. Shaq is just bigger than everybody. Kobe, certain guys could play in any era. Could Bill Russell play in today's era? Get the fuck out of here. No way. I don't give a fuck how you romanticize this guy. He can't play today. He'd be what? A point guard. You're being real blasphemous with Bill Russell. Bill Russell could be like Giannis right now. Bill Russell, dude, if they actually kept the real stats about Bill Russell and efficiency and player efficiency and all that shit, Bill Russell would be off the charts. Bill Russell, if you want, if everybody wants to gauge, hold on, if everybody wants to gauge everything off rings and championships, then Bill Russell has to be in the conversation. He doesn't have enough fingers, okay, to wear his fucking rings. Am I with you with LeBron? Yes, 100%. And everybody hates me for the simple fact. I grew up on Mike. You grew up on Mike. I know how great Mike is, bro. I have never in my life seen a player like LeBron. Ever. He has, okay, put it this way. He has done more with less, minus Miami, okay, minus that. He has done more with less than anybody in his career.
Here's a track I found underneath. Finding beats is a treat. And I don't care if it's top pop abracadabra. Heck, keep a tab of this sticking around like D in a structure. Into a mode unload and pop, pop, pop. Go the wheezes that drop from the hip hop. Yo, man, let me tell you something, man. If my moms and pops, as a newborn, went to LaGuardia Airport and uh, dropped my ass off in some pissy-ass bathroom, abandoned me, do you think after I grew up and my uh, adoptive parents told me the sucker shit that my parents did, you think I would look for these motherfuckers to talk to them? I wouldn't care. I would just need to see a picture just to see who these people were that left me in a pissy-ass LaGuardia Airport bathroom oh these are the motherfuckers that did that oh, all right i'm glad my adoptive parents looked out for me and picked me up from that bathroom that's all this shit happened to a kid in london his parents went to the airport he was a newborn he was swaddled in the blue blankets they said yo bring this motherfucker in the bathroom they dropped him off in the bathroom stall toilet stall and broke out so through genetic genealogy the little boy grew up and found those culprits that heartlessly, callously left this motherfucker in the bathroom. I don't know why. What are you going to say to them? What are you going to say? I would just say, yo, why you did that? What's wrong with you, man? I could have, I could have, I could have got killed. Yeah, man, every now and then, you know, due to my New York style, conversational style podcasting, cats hit me up on Instagram. They come to New York. Yo, G, man, I'm in your city, man. Let's have it brew. Let's watch a game. Now, if you sound like a rational motherfucker, I might do that. And of course, I will have the mics with me. So in this particular day, my man, KB Lerone, international traveler, I call him the digital nomad. We chopped it up in Brooklyn. And he was talking about the wonders of international travel and how he got started. So here we go. This down the third with G Moody live in Brooklyn right now, having a good drink. I'm here with my man Kelvin Brown, aka KB KB Larone. He's a world traveler. Met this cat via Instagram. He is a fan of this down the third with G Moody. And we are just talking at the bar right now. I'm going to get into his life and pick his brain about how he functions and how did he get involved with this traveling around the world and what does he really like about it. So I'm going to let my man Kelvin talk about his travels and what he's doing. How does he support himself out there? And overall, what countries? I was working for a cannabis company in L.A. And, uh, you know, things were going well, but uh, just wasn't completely, you know, happy like in L.A. You know, the traffic and the... And I was living in downtown LA, right near Skid Row. So you know that was well, brutal. brutal Hellhole. Hellhole. <laughs> I call it Little Rwanda. <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, probably worse than that. So one day, like you know, uh, I just, I just had this thought, like you know, like, you know, life is short, and like I, I felt like I needed to be doing something else more meaningful. Like I wanted to see other things. I didn't want to, you know, see the traffic off the 405 and the homeless people shitting in the street and you know, you know I just, so I went to the doctor and I had, I had a slight injury and uh, you know the doctor's like why don't you just get like a checkup and just you know just why don't you just get a checkup since you're here got a checkup everything was good but uh, you know doctor's like yo you know these numbers are a little you know 
feel a little bit of weight, you know, he's not, you know, you can slide into some, uh, something a little dangerous, especially being a black man. So I decided that uh, I'd always wanted to do, uh, you know, uh, do some sort of martial art. I had a friend who lived in Thailand, and so I decided to go to Thailand about a year and a half ago. And it was like the best decision that I think I've ever made in my life. It was truly, truly amazing. But yeah, you know, I just wanted to do something different. How do you support yourself there? Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but there's a thing called digital nomading. So digital nomad is basically a person that they can live pretty much anywhere in the world. And, you know, as long as you have a strong internet connection, uh, you can work anywhere. So, you know, I have friends who live in Bali and India and South Africa and, and you know, and a lot of my friends are, are online teachers or, or graphic designers or back-end web developers. My personal thing, I'm actually doing uh, Google Ads marketing, so basically marketing content. And, uh, you know, it's not like a lot of money. I mean, I could be working harder, but you don't need a lot to live in Southeast Asia. Like, uh, and that's my whole thing. Like, I like to live in, I like to be in places where I, it's affordable. So I didn't really know how the digital nomading thing was. Like I would just see things on like YouTube and there's this one cat uh, named Johnny FD and, uh, and he started doing this thing called the Digital Nomad Summit. I actually went to the Digital Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, uh, Thailand last January and I met all these uh, digital nomads and uh, Instagram influencers and all these people are just, you know, living like their best life. Like, I mean, you know, it's just different. Like it completely just it just showed me a different way. So you sent me a picture, and it was a lot of uh, Black Americans living in Chiang Mai, and uh, amazed me because when I went in '99, there were virtually none. I didn't see. I saw one brother from Long Island that I passed on the street in Bangkok, and of course we nodded to one another. But to see Black Americans in mass out there is something, man. What is there some type of movement like? Black Americans going there just to live. So, man, speak about that shit. There's this group on Facebook, and they're called the Black Packers of Southeast Asia. And all these people have relocated to Southeast Asia, not necessarily Thailand, but some live in, you know, Korea, uh, Cambodia, Malaysia, Sri Lanka. And, and it's just like this Facebook community, and it was uh, started by this, this guy named uh, Binky. So what they do is, like, they have this thing called Sunday dinner in Chiang Mai. I remember my first Sunday dinner, there's 25 of us, you know what I mean? Like, in Southeast fucking Asia, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we're all sitting down together. I'm like, oh, so where are you from? I'm from Louisville. I'm from Houston. I'm from Dallas. And, like, yo, and then you ask these people, like, so, you know, what made you do this? And they're all like, uh, we came out here on vacation or we heard about it. And we, and we came out here and we're living like our best lives. Like uh, we're eating healthier, we're eating uh, the freshest fruits. Like uh, we don't have all the stress that you have being you know, African-American in the States, you know? But a lot of people, it was a political thing. They just didn't want to be in the States uh, with all like the divisiveness that's going on. And you know, I think another one thing is like, you know, the cost of living is a third to a fourth of what it is here in the, st- in the States. So like basically like, you know, my last place in LA, like I was paying I was paying $1,300 just for rent. Uh, $1,300 in Southeast Asia uh, will take you way far. I mean, you know, you know, your own apartment uh, made, uh, you never cook. Uh, the cost of living there is just amazing. And the people are just so, you know, you, you can attest to that. The people are so amazingly friendly. 
the weather, you can't beat the weather. Uh, you know, I think the food's like the number one. The food is just like the number one thing, and the cost of the food, and the ch and, and and you know, for me, like, you know, I was I was going there to kind of get healthy, and so there, it's like everything's not like Monsanto, and everything is fresh, you know, and. As far as the uh, the cooking and the food is fantastic, but I know my man Kelvin, you had to indulge in the red light district. <laughs> we are talking about traveling and the experience of traveling. And as an American citizen, you need to realize that you are among the richest people on the planet. You know, being American, you know, we make up 5% of the world's population. So there's 7.5 billion people on this planet, and we're 5% of that. So technically, dude, we're probably in the top, you know, you and I sitting here having these beers in Brooklyn eating barbecue. We're probably in the top 5 percentile of people on this fucking planet right now. And I think traveling gives you a, a different perspective. On, it gives you a different perspective on your own life. Like, you know, how unbelievably blessed I am, like, to have... Uh, to be born in the States, even though the States is very extremely flawed, but like, we're lucky. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, there was a couple times, like, you know, I traveled, I was in Morocco last year and I saw fools get pulled off the bus and, you know, and I just popped out my American passport. They're like, all right, you good. That blue card. The, 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 blue, the blue passport, the blue passport. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, oh, oh, he all right. oh, you good, you good. You know, he ain't trying to sneak across or nothing like that. You right, know what I mean? Right. Well, we having a good time. See, this is imp <laughs> impromptu podcasting. Yeah. Just, just pulling out the mics, talking about international travel and uh, the fact that Americans don't really venture yes. outside of their country. I think they say 25% of Americans have passports, uh, but only 10% of Americans travel internationally with the passports. So, yeah. so this is why I wanted to do this podcast, just highlighting that, realize that you're an American, we are the richest people on earth, and you have that passport. And ironically, most of the girls or people I was sitting around with at the bars, the Thai natives, they were fascinated, fascinated. That, fascinated that we could actually go anywhere we wanted to and they couldn't even get a fucking passport. No, they, they, they made it clear to me. They was like, yo, you so lucky. You just yep. don't know. I was in Morocco. Uh, the average Moroccan person uh, makes 300, the equivalent of 300 US dollars a month. So, you know, these people are like working in restaurants, whatever, all day. And so that, what is that? That's like uh, $10 a day. So us being African-American, we're kind of like the white black people of the world. You know what I mean? Like we're like, you know, yeah. like <laughs> we're like, yeah, yeah, we're the white black people. Like, you know, like the Japanese are like the white Asians. Right. You know what I mean? And right. like, you know, we're like the white black people of the world. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I definitely I've noticed like places I've been. You know, you can tell the difference between American and like, you know, a Nigerian or like, there's a difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. And actually like Sw subtle, subtle swag things, Swagger, you know? yeah. And like, you know, and if you really think about like uh, African-American culture, I was in this small island 8,500 miles away on this remote island in the Gulf of Thailand at a club called Hush, which uh, you gotta go, which is like one of the best hip hop clubs I've ever been to in my life. And they are so enamored with our culture like if you see I saw brothers like I saw like, these Thai brothers like trying to do doing like the brush so their hairs are nappy you know Wait. Like, they got the froze and stuff you know they got the froze and Adidas gear you know and, and you know they don't speak a word of English but they're you know they know every lyric to like a Amigo song or like a Cardi B song so you know like again like yeah uh, being African-American I think carries a little different weight uh, 
uh, other places as opposed to other black people. My man said he trains Muay Thai. I've never seen such fierce fighting. Riddick Bo came out there and got his ass kicked. Yeah, well, yeah. He was on some bullshit. He thought <laughs> he was 6'5". He was fighting a little 5'5 five, five guy. The 5'5 five, five guy kicked his ass out of the ring. And you trained this. So you must be able to hold yourself down in these Brooklyn streets. You know, it's funny, Ajimuri, like, uh, you know, uh, one of the things when you, 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 you train Muay Thai, it's like, it's like an ancient discipline. And, uh, and if you really take it seriously, uh, you know, you don't go out starting anything. I mean, your coaches tell you that, you know. So it's basically like it's, it's, a, it's a martial art, and it's, it's called the, the, the fighting of uh, eight limbs. So it's knees, it's elbows, it's kicks, and it's vicious, man. But for me, like, you know, I, it's perfecting your kicks and, like, knowing pressure points in, like, the body. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and you push yourself uh, physically. Like, I, I've never pushed myself uh, so physically ever in my life. KB Lerone, we're going to do travel correspondence. We're going to tell you cats how to do it mm -hmm. and that you should do it and um, the intricacies that go into it. So I've been traveling for, like, the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, you know, what days to travel, like, uh, you know, hotels, Airbnbs, hostels, you know what I mean? Like, I... You know, I found like little, like small little hacks, like, you know, to do, you know, expensive European countries cheaper. You know what I mean? You don't always have to stay in like a, you know, a hotel. Like, you know, there's something to be said for going to a hostel. There's just so many like little quirk, quirky things. Like after you travel so much like I do, I can completely tell your listeners, uh, you know, deals, flights, you know, fly out of main hub cities, fly out. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, like little things like that yeah. to help them. And actually, another thing to tell you, your listeners, uh, uh, when you travel, um, it's not as crazy and dangerous and as expensive as people think it is. I mean, I, I know it's like a lot of people that I talk to, like they're, they're really thrown off by, they're like, oh, it's so much money and blah, blah, blah. You can do these things and you can do them at different levels. And actually, I think it's more fun to kind of like, you know, budget yourself and, and, and try different things and like not be in like the big touristy spots. You know what I mean? You get more of the city. I was younger, so I budget travel. And also, I stayed at a serviced apartment in, okay. uh, in Bangkok just to be on some luxury shit because yes. I needed to be because I'm an American. I want to feel like that when I go to these places. So <laughs> so I'm here in Brooklyn right now with my man KB Lerone. He will be the uh, travel correspondent, put you cats up on hot spots hot to go to. Like the hot spot where I know a lot of people are traveling to right now, Medellin, Colombia. And you would never, ever think that, but like it's like, uh, it's like the number two digital nomad uh, place in the world right now. Uh, a lot of cats are going to Bali. I mean, Bali's like a hot spot right now. KB chilling out in Brooklyn with this side and the third with G Moody, live podcasting at the bar right now. Can I have another margarita? I'm talking to the... <laughs> Lovely Miss Millie. Miss Millie. All right, since my man KB Larone has been overseas, he's gotten back, you know, into New York. He sees the speed of gentrification. It's crazy because, uh, you know, I have some really good friends and, you know, they're actually gentrifiers and I'm actually staying with them right now mm. <laughs> in Crown Heights and they're gentrifiers. Oh, but they call these motherfuckers colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, so right now I'm living, I'm, I'm staying with my really good friend from California and, you know, they, they live off of Franklin Avenue in Crown Heights and uh, in Crown Heights, I remember like, you know, was like the uh, kind of ground zero for... Uh, for craziness back in the 80s and 90s and now it's like uh way different it's like uh, it's like coachella <laughs> and you know i'm walking down i was right near the hudson yards and i'm just like yo like luxury condos 
luxury apartments, luxury. And I'm like, yo, who are all these people who can afford uh, 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 $4,000 a month, uh, uh, one bedroom rent? And you know, you're only really supposed to pay uh, a third of what you make in rent. So 10,000, 11,000 a month, what is that? I mean, there's that many people in the city making that much money? I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. I'd like to say I saw it coming. That's why I purchased some properties in the Bronx. Okay. okay. My uncle has one on 149th near Fox. Oh, he's good money. Oh, he's good money. Yeah. He they, it in like the late 80s. They don't call it South Bronx. They call it Sobro. Oh. <laughs> Allah uh, Soho. Oh, okay, Sobro. <laughs> to take the way of the negative connotations oh, from okay. the Bronx. Because it's not Hell's Kitchen anymore. It's Midtown West. The New York that we grew up with is being scrubbed away. Scrubbed away. This that and third with G Moody live in Brooklyn with Millie at Dinosaur Barbecue. The realness. The 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 the, the realness. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the realness.